Danny uh, asked me to come back and say the same thing I did last year. So I just brought a recording, and I'm just going <laughs> to... Um, so there will be a lot of uh, repeat. How many of you were here last year when I spoke? Okay, well, I apologize up front. There will be a little bit of repeat going on, but never hurts to hear it twice. Um, we're going to talk about Jesus, so I suppose that'll be okay. If you're offended by anything I have to say, you can talk to Danny. He's the one that invited me back. So. All right, well, let's, um, I'd like to pray again. Um, I'm feeling kind of weak today. Um, I guess you have days like that, and, and uh, what's great about that is every time I have a day like this, I, I'm reminded of that. Was it 1 Corinthians 12 or 2 Corinthians 12? 2 Corinthians 12? One of the Corinthians. <laughs> Where Paul talks about um, how Christ is, is made strong in our weaknesses. And, uh, and I really believe that. I think that it's, it's when we're weak that we really don't have a whole lot to give of ourselves where Christ uses us. And so I'm just going to trust that he's going to use me today in our lives and um, I'm encouraged to be here already, so I'm excited to see what he does. Let's pray and ask him to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, um, I'm <laughs> it's, it's strange to be in this room again, and I uh, just remember so many times I sat here um, focusing our eyes on you, and uh, now being up here with these young people again, who are here to seek you, Lord. And, uh, boy, I just don't feel like I have a whole lot to give. But I know that you wanted me to come speak today. And so I trust you have a word for your people. And, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would, would come and, and be at work um, speaking and opening eyes and opening hearts to receive the good news, uh, that you'd be removing distractions. I know there's lots of distractions in Bible college, and I just pray that we could um, cut through the, the surfacey stuff this morning and just get to the heart of Christianity and be reminded of what it means to be a Christian, why we're here, not just in Bible college, but why we take breaths every day and live why our hearts beat, why you sustain us. Thank you for your precious blood. Thank you that we can come here this morning and talk about being free from guilt. And uh, I just ask that you'd speak now, Lord, for the sake of your people and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians this morning. There's a few verses in there that I'm rather fond of. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 17. 
Paul writes this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Unfortunately, that doesn't describe very well the first couple years of first few years of my life as a Christian, um, when I first began to teach and preach at various places. I had this perspective that because I was studying the Bible, and really we've been called to study the Bible, what I needed to do was just understand the passage and just explain the passage well and use some good colorful illustrations and stuff like that. And as long as I did that, that was enough. People understand their Bibles better. That should be enough, I would think. But that's not what Paul is saying here. I don't think that's enough. Look at verse 17 again. I'll just read it one more time. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. We're going to talk about the gospel today. The gospel is something specific. It's not just the Bible. There's a bit more to it than that. Why does Paul write that when we preach, we should preach the gospel? For Christ did not send me to preach, or to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom. See, that's what I was trying to do. I thought as long as I could be eloquent and I could sound wise and whatnot, that was going to be enough for people. And then that last phrase, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There wasn't any power in what I was doing. That was the problem. It's one thing to explain the Bible to people. It's another thing entirely to preach the gospel so that the cross is not emptied of its power. Power for what? What does it matter? Let's find out. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> for the word of the cross is folly... I think the word of the cross there is just a parallel to the gospel. The word of the cross is folly for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then jump down to verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There it is again. Preaching Christ is the power of God. Power for what? Again, I ask the question. Jump down to verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And here it is, I think, verse 30. And because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Think about that. It's because of God that you're in Christ, right? That's what he's saying. This is not me being smart and eight and choosing God. It's because of God that you are in Christ. It's because of God that you have any wisdom at all. Right? I don't conjure stuff up and somehow I'm wise so that there's power for people to be transformed. I can't do any of that. That has to be Christ who does that. Righteousness, on my best day, I have none of my own. And that next word is what we're probably going to focus on the most. Sanctification. For the Christian, sanctification takes place because Christ is being exalted in your life. Because the gospel is being foundational and central. Because Jesus is the one doing it in you. We'll talk more about that. And redemption. Those things take power. Supernatural power. Not human power. Right? I replace windshields. Some of you probably know that. Some of you probably have one of my windshields. Um, the other day... A couple days ago, I met a guy at a parking lot. I met him at Kenyon Noble. <clears throat> and I wondered why he wanted me to meet him at Kenyon Noble and not his house. When I saw the vehicle, I understood why. Uh, his windshield was as toast as toast gets. It was, uh, it was just destroyed. And I, I asked him, this is actually kind of a rabbit trail. This has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about. But <laughs> you, you need to know about it because it's funny. Um, I uh, asked him what happened. You know, because sometimes, you know, a deer will jump out, and if Gail's not there to kill it, it'll land on your car or whatever. Or, uh, you know, sometimes a tree branch will fall in a windstorm. And something, you know, so there's all kinds of crazy stories behind broken windshields. Often it's the ex-girlfriend. So keep that in mind, people who want to date. Um, but he said that his wife was driving, and it was like late at night, and she was turning that corner on 7th and Oak, and there was this like 70-year-old guy in a black hoodie who like ran out, like didn't know where he was going, and she just nailed him. And he flew up and landed on the windshield, and that's why the windshield was shattered. I felt kind of weird changing it out, but... Um, that is a terrible story, isn't it? <laughs> so be careful as you get older. Make sure you watch those crosswalks, <clears throat> especially at night. 
I see, why did I tell you that? As I was talking with this guy, um, we were having conversation, and um, it was good conversation. Um, and he, uh, he asked what, he, he told me he went to church. I don't remember the name of the church in the valley. Um, he said he went to church, and he asked what church I went to, and I told him, and we got to talking a little bit. Oh, yeah, you got a question. <laughs> I asked him, I, and he said he doesn't know, so I thought, well, that's probably a bad thing. He's, I mean, he said he's, like, he's live, but, uh, you know, he's, I imagine he's got some recovery to do. I, it couldn't have been easy. Good question, though. That's a real caring student over there. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. This is, this is going to be an interesting talk. Um, but he asked me what church I go to, and I told him, well, I go out to Dry Creek. And, you know, we were chatting a little bit, and he goes, <clears throat> or no, I said Dry Creek Bible. And, and his response was, oh, well, any church that has Bible in its name has got to be a good church. Really? I didn't say anything. I just kept my mouth shut. But uh, John 5, 39 and 40 says this. You search the Scriptures. Some of you probably have this memorized. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You guys all searching the Scriptures? You ever ask yourself why? It's probably a good question to ask. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. This is Jesus talking. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. These people knew their Bibles. But they didn't have life. Because they didn't have Jesus. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds to me like not every Bible-believing church is a good church. I hear that phrase a lot. It's a good Bible-believing church. A lot of churches believe their Bibles don't know a whole lot about Jesus. What makes a church a good church? Now, this is my opinion, but I'm fond of my own opinions like everybody else. What makes a church a good church is not that it uses the Bible, but that what is supposed to be of first importance is of first importance. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1, if you were here last year, I sound like a broken record. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Paul preached the gospel. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, 
what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance, excuse me, in accordance with the scriptures. So he um, goes on to summarize the gospel there. It seems to me that for all the churches out there that use their Bibles, the good ones are the ones that keep the gospel at a place of first importance. That seems to be quite important in Paul's mind, doesn't it? In fact, according to Paul, if you're not continuing in the gospel, you're not being saved. That's not my words. Look at verse 2. And by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Well, what's that word? Well, he just said in verse 1, the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. He doesn't say keep reading your Bibles, keep searching the scriptures. He says hold fast to the gospel. That should have the place of first importance. It seems to me that a a church that's moving in the right direction will have gospel-centered messages. It'll have gospel-centered programs. It'll have gospel-centered teaching, gospel-centered interaction and communication between the people because it's of first importance, you see. So if we ought to orient our lives that way, it just seems that a group of Christians ought to orient their gatherings that way. For the Christian, gospel-centeredness, in my mind, is not optional. It is foundational and necessary. It is the very essence of what it means to be Christian, because it is the good news that centers around Jesus Christ. One of the main reasons I didn't make the gospel a priority in my <clears throat> earlier years as a Christian is because I had this idea that the gospel, and maybe you think this way, so, um, so listen up. I had this idea that the gospel was primarily for conversion, right? That we would take the gospel, um, you know, as a missionary, or we'd preach it, you know, every third week of the month or whatever, because we want to give an altar call we want to give people the opportunity to be saved. And of course, I think we could all agree that the gospel is necessary for salvation. I see nodding heads. That's a good thing. And that was my perspective of the gospel. But as far as actually living the Christian life was concerned, sanctification, you might call it, my perspective was that there are so many other things uh, that, are, that are just so much more effective than the gospel, right? We have all kinds of good books that have been written and, and counselors and programs and, you know, whatever, computer blockers stuff. So we can use all this stuff to sanctify us. And when we have an opportunity to speak to an unbeliever, well, then we, we dust off the gospel and we bring that back again, right? That was my idea of what it was. Um, for example, and this is where you're going to hear me repeat myself from last year, okay? When I was first saved, when Jesus opened my eyes, 
I was um, pretty deep into pornography. That was a big struggle of mine. And I uh, am aware that it's still a problem in the church. <laughs> right? It's, uh, it's not going away. So, we might talk a little bit about how to fight it. But um, this was my perspective. This is how we fight pornography. I figured as long as I, and I kind of mentioned this, but as long as I could... Um, you know, get all the, there's a lot of little pamphlets that are written, you know, uh, you know, how to fight pornography, that kind of stuff. So as long as I was reading those and I was memorizing all those verses on lust and, you know, I had like an accountability to where we could chat about this stuff and I could be open and be like, yeah, I looked at porn five times this week or whatever. Um, as long as I was doing that stuff, that should be what was needed in order to kick this sin out of my life. And that was really my focus. I mean, I was really focused on this. I hated it. I hated pornography. I still do. But that, and that was, my, that was my idea of how to slay the dragon, so to speak. But what did we just read in chapter 1? Go back to chapter 1 with me. Verse 18 again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, I'm not talking about unbelievers here. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What kind of power of God does a Christian need in his or her life? gospel, the power to be transformed, right? The power to kick pornography to the curb, that kind of stuff. Jump down to verse 30 again. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification. I was looking in all the wrong places for my sanctification. I thought that as long as I got enough of this other stuff going on and was able to focus enough on these other methods and man-made techniques and whatnot, which, by the way, are not bad things. Okay, you don't have to go uninstall that program on your computer after I'm done talking because, oh, the speaker said I don't need this. That's not what I'm saying. But that was, my, that was what my hope was in. That was everything to me in order to beat sin. And uh, come to find out, Christ is my sanctification. That's not a passive thing. That means I need to actively be pursuing Christ, not a bunch of man-made methods. At least not as a place of, of, of first importance. If you or I pursue sanctification apart from frequent meditation on and trust in the good news surrounding Jesus Christ, we end up in one of two directions. And I talked about this last year, and I'm going to say it again, because there's a lot of new people in this room. If you and I pursue sanctification apart from this this framework of fixing our eyes on Jesus. What did we just sing about? Do you believe it? 
apart from this framework of, of Christ and the gospel being absolutely foundational, you're going to end up in one of two places. The first one, you're going to end up hopeless. You're going to end up defeated. And that's where I ended up, and I almost threw in the towel. Because in my mind, well, Christians don't look at porn. And look at me, here I am, been fighting it for however long. You know, I got all these, I'm using every method I can possibly come up with to fight it. And I keep struggling. I keep going back to my vomit. What is wrong with me? I must not be a Christian, and I'm done. I didn't quite get there. Praise the Lord, he kept me. He does that. But it was hopeless. And it just dragged me down further and further. Now, now, piled on top of not just the lust that I struggled with was more guilt, more shame, more inability to move forward or live the Christian life. I didn't know what victorious Christian life meant. For me, it was just it's a bad day. So that's one direction you can go. There's another possibility, though. This one might be worse. You might experience some measure of success. You might begin to look at porn less, maybe instead of once a day or once a week or something like that. And by the way, I'm using porn as the example because it's a big one, but we all have our personal sins. If you don't struggle with that, you struggle with something else. So just fill in the blank there, okay? We might experience some measure of success. In other words, as a result of you doing everything you can in your own strength and the strength of what other people around you have come up with, you might view yourself as really making some good progress, which can only lead to arrogance. It will always lead to arrogance. When you pursue sanctification, and at least in your mind, you're really doing well, and you do it apart from that foundation of Christ and Him crucified, it will always lead to pride. I don't think it can be avoided, and I'll show you why I don't think it can be avoided. Look at um, verse 28 again. We're still in 1 Corinthians 1, right? Okay, look at verse 28 again. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even those things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So God doesn't want us to boast. Hmm. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Do you see what's going on there? When you are saturated with gospel, and you know that Christ is not only the one who saved you, redeemed you, paid your debt in full, but the one that keeps sanctifying you on into glory, what credit are you going to take? It just crushes pride. That's the whole point. It crushes pride. And if you don't go about it that way, you're going to become proud in your own abilities. Look at um, chapter 9. Turn over to chapter 9 with me. <clears throat> Verse 16. Here's another good one to memorize. For if I preach the gospel, 
That gives me no ground for boasting. You get it? If Paul preaches the gospel, he knows it's going to be a fatal blow to his pride. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. This is not optional. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul didn't want to become proud and arrogant and turn away from Christ. He wanted to continue being saved. So he kept the main thing the main thing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that what? No one may boast. So that no one may boast. You know why God designed the gospel the way he did? Why it had to be that you and I could only be saved if all our trust was in Christ only and not ourselves, not the people around us, so that no one would boast. So that we would look to Christ and all our boasting would be in him. So that if Nate has a good day, I don't become puffed up. But I give glory to Jesus. And I won't do that naturally if I'm not fixed on the gospel. There's only one way to fight pornography or any other sin in your life in a way that doesn't lead to hopeless defeat or repulsive arrogance, and that is the gospel way. Jonathan Pennington says this, We often think of the gospel, and I think maybe one of the reasons I'm sharing this with you, this quote, is because when I came across it, I just think it's such a wonderful description of the gospel. He, does, he just has a good grasp of it. Because sometimes, I mean, sometimes it can become kind of Christianese, can't it? The gospel, the gospel. Okay, well, what are you talking about? Let's make sure we're on the same page here. He says this, We often think of the gospel as the message of God legally forgiving our sins or justifying us because of Jesus' work on the cross. While this is true, the gospel is much more comprehensive. The gospel is God visiting and staying with his people, saving us from our enemies, fulfilling his ancient promises for us, delivering us so that we might serve him without fear, forgiving our sins, shining light on our darkness, and guiding us into a life of peace. The gospel is full of mercy, that is God not giving us what our sin deserves, but even more, it is full of grace, with God giving us countless gifts and his own presence. When we begin to grasp the breadth and the depth of the gracious, comprehensive work of God through Jesus, our hearts are engaged with devotion to God. I love that. We begin to get a vision of all that God is for us. Understanding the gospel in this broader way makes Jesus not just the religious part of our lives, but the focus of all of our hopes. We should meditate regularly on the fullness of our salvation. End quote. And I would add, we must meditate regularly on the, on the fullness of our salvation. It, it wasn't just a prayer you said 10 years ago. The gospel is transforming you, conforming you into the image of Christ. And what does that have to do with fighting sin? Just, I'll repeat this one sentence. When we begin to grasp the breadth and depth of the gracious, comprehensive work of God through Jesus... 
our hearts are engaged with devotion to God. That's what it has to do with fighting sin. When you are daily growing more in love with Jesus because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his kindness in your life that you don't deserve, not even for a moment, but every moment he shows you mercy. When you begin to, to understand the multifaceted reality of this kind of love toward you, and your heart responds with love and devotion toward him, you will hate your sin because it will be a stumbling block to deeper intimacy with Jesus. I want deeper intimacy. And if porn has to get out of the way for that to happen, then it better get out of the way. That's how it has to do with sanctification. I've been discipling a new Christian for a couple weeks now. Um, and he's been, uh, well, I guess it's been a couple months. But he's, he smoked weed for 15 years, just nonstop, every day, all day. Um, your typical pothead. Three weeks ago, he quit. He quit smoking. Um, he said he hadn't gone like two days prior to that. But he quit. Do you know why he quit? You might be thinking, well, you told him to stop. You told him it was unchristian. You nagged him until he quit. I didn't tell him one time to quit smoking weed. Because to be frank, I wasn't sure if that was the specific area God was working on yet. So I'm trying to get a feel for what God's doing and come alongside. So no, I didn't focus him on his sin. Okay, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be smoking weed all the time. That's pretty basic, right? But I didn't take him there. You want to know what I did? I prayed for him. And every time we talked, which was every, pretty much every day, I reminded him of the abundant mercy of Christ. Trust me, he had enough guilt in his life without me making it worse. I reminded him over and over and over, don't you know that Jesus has paid your debt? Don't forget that Jesus has paid your debt. And, and he'd say, but I, but I messed up again. I did this, I did that. I said, don't focus on it. Don't worry about it. Keep moving forward and keep your eyes on Christ. Right? If you're in Christ, he's not mad at you. He loves you. And he lived life as a human. He understands and he wants to bring you out of it in his time. The other day I asked him why he wanted to quit. He said, I, I, I quit smoking. You know, and I knew he had quit, but it's been three weeks now. And I said, so why did you want to quit? And his answer just floored me. Out of the mouth of babes. He said, I quit because when I was smoking, it was hard to get close to Christ. There's some people in the church who've been in the church for 50 years that could learn something from that. He quit smoking because he it made it harder to get close to Christ. 
<laughs> Amen. Right? I mean, isn't that what it's about? Otherwise, why do we care if we sin or not? Do you want Jesus? Because if you want more of him, something's going to have to go. All right, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit for the sake of time. That was um, most of what I wanted to say from last year. I'm just going to close with um, a word of encouragement for the people who were here last year. Um, People still struggling with pornography or whatever sin it was. Don't worry, I didn't expect to come back this year and think that everybody was perfect now. Okay, Um, I understand it's a struggle. But if you were here last year and you were encouraged by what I said and yet you find yourself still struggling with whether it was pornography or some other sin, still haven't kicked it, I want you to turn over to John chapter 6 with me. Look at verse 28. John 6, 28. These people come up to Jesus and they got a question for him. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They want to know, what, what, what can we do to do those things that are pleasing to God? What is it that we need to do to make God impressed with us or proud of us or whatever? I don't know all the implications of this question, but you get the gist. What do we do to be doing the works of God? This was Jesus' big opportunity to really get him, wasn't it? Ooh, I got listening ears. Okay, here we go. Stop looking at porn. Stop smoking weed. You know, start being nice to people. Start going to church. Give them a list of things to do, right? I mean, they're listening. Here's your opportunity. Get them sanctified now. But look at his answer. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Isn't that amazing? You just got to believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. You want to know how to be pleasing to God? You want to know how to live the Christian life? Keep your eyes on Christ. (laughs) I used to say this. I don't say it anymore, especially from a pulpit, but I'll say it here. (laughs) My view of the Christian life, put Christ first and then do what you want. Because if you put Christ first, What are you going to want to do? That's the point. It's a heart change. It's not outward pressure trying to get you to fit a mold. It doesn't work that way. All right. So, do you have sin in your life? Are you still struggling this year like you were last year? I know I am. I got sins in my life. Man. I don't even know if I should start going over them. 
But, uh, but I, got, I got real struggles. I got anger issues. Man, wait till you have kids. It just comes out. I didn't know I was an angry person. I'm an angry person. I'm selfish. I'm arrogant. Um, there's so many things I struggle with. So if you have sin in your life, welcome. Welcome to the, to the club or whatever you want to call it. But passages like this one remind me that God is not disappointed with me when I sin. Maybe that's news to you, but God is not disappointed with you when you sin. Furthermore, he's not impressed with you when you don't sin. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Are you abiding in Christ? That's the question. Are you believing in the one whom he has sent? Are you pressing into Jesus? Then he's well pleased with you as well. It's a matter of faith. And you are accepted in the beloved. Whether you think your day is better than the last one or worse. It's not about our performance. It's about his. Regardless of what particular sin you're struggling with or how long you're going to struggle with it. Okay? It's not my place, and it's, I don't think it's anyone's place to give you a deadline. Say, well, if you don't kick porn by the time you graduate, you're probably not a Christian. I don't know your heart, and I don't know how you're wired or what sort of things get you. But God has a plan. He has a design. And I'm not going to try and take the Holy Spirit's place. Okay? If you're not fighting, if you don't care, that's one thing. But if you're fighting, that's another thing entirely. Don't get me wrong, and I am going to close here. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I want you to stop looking at porn. Okay, we'll just keep this illustration going. I want you to stop looking at porn today, ASAP. I think it should stop now. Okay, that would be for the best. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you already agree with me. Right? I don't need to tell you that. You hate this sin. You fight this sin. But lots of people beat lots of sins, and they burn for eternity. A lot of good people out there. Why? Because they didn't treasure Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's where the rubber meets the road. And I can say from personal experience that when we do sin, we can see the mercy of God a little more clearly. And you know what that does? It makes us want to worship him. So no, I would agree with Paul. Don't embrace the sin. Don't sin that grace may abound. But know that God will use even that to bring you closer to him. So fight the good fight. Wage war against the flesh. Absolutely. I'm not saying otherwise. But do so biblically. By looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. You remember that? Joe and I didn't connect on that. It just happened. right? Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of glory. You look to him. You don't look to your sin and figure out how you can combat it. You look to Christ because he already combated it and is victorious. 
and he not only is the founder of your faith, trust me, he's going to perfect it. He's going to finish the job one day. I know some days it doesn't seem like it, but he will. You just keep the first thing the first thing. Keep your eyes on him. Don't take them off, please. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am aware of the potential pitfalls, pitfalls of speaking this way, and I think Paul was too in Romans. Um, I'm aware that people could mistake what I've said this morning and think that I'm um, saying that our sin is okay or something stupid like that. Um, I pray that if, if there is anyone in this room who's thinking that way, you would shut that out right now. That we would have a, have a genuine hatred for sin, Lord. And we would fight sin with all that we are, but we would do so with the right motives. That we wouldn't have this idea of, of what a good Christian looks like and want to be like that. Rather, we would do so because it's getting in the way of treasuring you. It's getting in the way of loving you more and enjoying you. And I do pray for the young people in this room. This is a tough stage of life. This is a tough stage of life. It's a tough time to live as well. And um, I just pray that regardless of how well they perceive themselves to be doing from day to day, they would remember that your righteousness is perfect. And if, if they are trusting you, then your righteousness is theirs. And there's, no, there's nothing to be improved upon. And I pray that you'd keep sanctifying them to the day we see your face. In Jesus' name.